0: Tabletalk is not your typical D&D TTRPG podcast. We are not here to run you through our whole campaign.
1: We're here to talk about everything else in the space of tabletop roleplay.
0: I'm your host, Alejandra Wilhelm. And I'm also your host, Mariah Gresham. And we're your Tabletop roleplay girlies. Alrighty, and we are live back with your favorite tabletop roleplay girlies. Um, and welcome back from whatever you were doing, probably listening to our previous episode, hopefully. Um, but we're here and we're gonna talk a little bit about compelling villains by popular vote because we could not decide between our two possible episode ideas. So we'll just have to wait on you know metagaming how to meta how to prevent metagaming um for another time but for now we're talking about villains specifically how to make them compelling and interesting um and be away from maybe possibly like the the problematic
1: the stereotypes (laughs) yeah
0: Possibly, um as like our lovely lovely friends at slovenly trolls do such a great job at um but yeah so compelling villains i think personally 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 um we always talk about strixhaven i'm gonna continue to talk about strixhaven
1: um listen it's it's a great fountain of content <laughs> And that we're... And it's also awesome. We're about to play it this week.
0: Yeah, I'm so excited. So,
1: well, not by the time you guys listen to this, no. but we're recording it when there's, like, less than seven sleeps
0: before Strixhaven again. Yeah, counting the sleeps. I can't. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, speaking from my own perspective uh, uh, as a DM, um, I really, really strived with, like, the world that we put Strixhaven in. Because Strixhaven, I mean, you know... We, we say haven campaign. It's a haven campaign by the skin of its teeth. It's, I, I looked at the book, saw the the basics of how to run that university, and then tossed it over my shoulder um, and did my own thing with yeah. it. So, like, I basically have rebranded, you know, a lot of the professors. I maybe use their names, but then I also, like, did a whole new revamps on their art. And, you know, different, I created new professors and new students, et cetera. It's it's a rich, rich world and tapestry that we're doing. I placed it in one of my own homebrew, like, cities that I had already kind of established a system. And then they're, like, you know, as world building does, had to create a whole world and yada, yada, yada. But with Strixhaven, I really strived for a a couple of things, Um, you know, as like, a mixed bag of queer women and like a like slightly diverse group ourselves um we i wanted it to be a world obviously with you know i don't want sex i don't want the isms to be a thing um necessarily right i don't think i have to rely on them as a crutch to make compelling villains personally um For me, and especially, like, for me, the thing that I like to play around in, this is kind of my favorite world with villains, is, you know, villains have motivations of their own. And I like villains who you can almost understand why they do the things that they do. Yes. And that's my favorite world to play in. I like Mm -hmm. villains... That are villains by the circumstance of the side that you've chosen. And you could have easily ended yeah. up on the other side of that.
1: I love the same. Uh, playing in Shades of Grey. Yeah. And it's like there there are things that characters will do. And choices that they will make that will maybe make them irredeemable. Mm-hmm. After a certain point. But no one... Is, like, a quote-unquote, you know, good guy or gal or non-binary pal. Yeah. And everyone has the capacity to do monstrous things. Exactly. Like, again, to continue with the Strixhaven example, like, after the Lisette fight, and it came out that, you know, Lisette was the one that had been trying to create all these reborns, and it killed, like... We don't even I don't know that we even got a full like death toll on the amount of people. We'll probably get that next session. But um, that had killed Anya that had, and resurrected her. That had killed her parents and tortured them for months beforehand. And I had Anya cut out her tongue and cut off her hands so that she could not cast anymore. And, like, I justified that in saying, like, well, my, like, you know, freshman in college character probably didn't go right to that. But, like, her god was fairly present in the fight, as far as just, like, because she was... It plays into his, sort of, people fucking with life and death and trying to... Especially Set trying to uh, reclaim the soul of his previous champion. And then Anya becoming his new champion. Um, and we've canonically made McCall a god that is quite vengeful and wrathful but then also has the capacity for like kindness and like he's a like complicated person that is a lot has gone into him being where he is but in certain aspects in like punishing those who try to force people into undeath or forcibly disregard or disrespect the cycle of life and death and his role within that He's vengeful. Yeah. And so his solution was she needs to not cast. So that's how I worked it in my head. Because I I Mariah had the idea. And then I was like, I don't know, the Anya wouldn't think this right away, even though I did. Because I'm I, I love dark stories and I love when characters do fucked up shit. And then they have to live with it. Mm-hmm. Um, but that is an objectively monstrous thing to do.
0: Yeah.
1: And Anya as a character is now going to have to deal with the fact that she did that and what that says about her and is what she's already done, what she may or may not end up doing in the process of, like, Lisette's interrogation and execution coming up? Like, at what point... When you're hunting the monster, do you become one yourself?
0: Absolutely.
1: That's a line that I like playing. Yeah,
0: mostly. and like my big thing with Lisette, when I first conceptualized that she was gonna be the baddie of your of your story, um, I mm-hmm. wanted someone who by you know by all appearances is really trusted. Well respected in the community wouldn't be like initially suspected by any by any means, and like you know no. she's recognized for her healing. Like she was the mm-hmm. the v- antithesis of everything that was going on with with you and your story, at least at first glance. Yes. Um. But I thought about her, and I thought about the element of like you know we're we're booktop girlies. We're we're out here in that in that way. Um. And, and as we do, and especially in, like, romantic stories, we love a character that is a burn-the-earth, like, burn-the-world-salty-earth kind of guy, right? Or
1: yeah, kind of character sure.
0: that, you know, would do anything for the person that they love. What does that look mm-hmm. like on the other end? You know, like
1: yeah when when you're the victim of that, when you are getting burned at the stake for this person's goal,
0: yeah,
1: um because Lisette is doing what we've all praised,
0: you know, many, male many many male morally male gray, leaves, gray villains uh, for doing for it, doing
1: right. And like maybe not praised even, but like let slide or justified or whatever. Yeah. and so that was really interesting. That's another thing too, of like you can't fully have this conversation as we we brought this up with the slovenly trolls as well, without like it's it's not all about gender, but gender absolutely has a role mm-hmm. and how we conceptualize female villains that aren't like their rage or their cause they're fighting for isn't resolving around a man um or solely around like trying to impress a man or get revenge for someone who took, so like, stole their, something from them. Like, you know, the classic fairy tale stories. Yeah. But with Lissette, it was like, like, yeah, she was trying to uh bring her lover back, but it was just as much about her own hubris and her own belief that she was capable.
0: Like, of- I am the most powerful healer, and even I cannot bring like my lover back.
1: Yeah, but she thought she could. She thought like I can go against death and I can win.
0: Yeah.
1: Um and you you can't. But <laughs> <Not>. <laughs> at least not not in this canon not with this death god that we've made <laughs> but um like there's even things we've talked about like with um with McCall's backstory of like him becoming the god of death because uh, he defeated the previous god of death because they took his lover mm-hmm. from him. And he was trying to reclaim some part of their soul. Um, and like some of that we need to like finalize out and flush mm-hmm. out. But and that is partly why, because like McCall is, you know, ancient at this point. But it's partly why he's so vigilant and vicious. In the enforcing of those rules because he's been on all sides of it and he knows the costs and the collateral that comes with trying so desperately. To go against to the natural bend, laws. Something, yeah, that you will fail and then you will have, consequences. you know, what, what we had here where you have just, you know, truckloads of <laughs> dead people <laughs> that yeah. you've killed for nothing.
0: Yeah, um, just wasted lives. Uh, Which
1: that'll be an interesting thing too, thinking like who all those other people were,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and like how has Lisette been able to do this mm-hmm. without? Like, where are all these people coming from? I don't know. Which is why, like, yeah, I need to, we need to touch base again before, before (laughs) the session with those, like, because that interrogation is going to be this, 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 this episode. This episode, (laughs)
0: this session. session. Yeah, Um, but. They feel like episodes. They really do. I feel like marathons, God. Um, Truly. But yeah, like, Lisette has a special place because she is my, she's my first, she's my first baddie. She's my first villain Um, Mm -hmm. that I got, I got to go into like really figuring out like her motivations. What has she been doing um, and all of that. And like, I really, really had fun finding those things out and what motivates her and what defines her really. And I didn't want, um, I let, I love the idea and it's it's probably because of like me as a person. It's uh we we both have that mentioned that theme of like, what are you willing to do for love? Right. And love mm-hmm. is is a pure feeling. It's something that most people associate with good. Um, but love can also be an incredible motivator for. Some not so great actions,
1: per um, obsession. Yeah, or, obsession, yeah, lust, desperate, all those things. Half-brained actions. Yeah,
0: yeah, and um, you know, like I, I'm a big lover gal, and I love hard. And like I think I've, 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 I put a lot of that element of like, what would I be willing to do for the people that I care about when I truly, truly love them, and I'm like damn near yeah. anything. And yeah, like I wanted to really like sink myself into that into that feeling of like what lengths would you go to in a world of magical potential if the person you love mm-hmm. most in in this fucking universe was gone and you couldn't bring them back
1: yeah and funny enough, like I I had a similar approach with Anya because like so much of how she sees herself and her life and you know the things that anchor her, or her parents, mm-hmm. because she's probably about the only she's one of the few characters that maybe ever played certainly in our campaign that um, had a, a good childhood, like and had a had a very healthy relationships with her parents, and she was well loved, and her parents were present, and like they were very, she was there, everything, and they were her everything, and so losing both of them, and then losing so much of herself in that death. And, like, what that death and resurrection did to her mentally and emotionally and how she viewed herself. Mm -hmm. And we've played around with that a little bit. And I think it will continue to build. Like, now that she's sort of—she feels like she woke up, she didn't know where her parents were. And her whole, you know, Terminator mission was to reclaim her memories and figure out what happened to her parents and— try to save them or if she couldn't save them avenge them yeah and so part of that will be done with Lisette, but then there's uh, part of it will not be done and so there's also this thing of she's like I've turned myself into a weapon and I am more than willing to set myself on fire mm-hmm. and for for this vengeance and for this revenge and she's like I am a I am a tool to wield in this and it will have a hard time seeing herself as anything else because that's all she's seen herself as Yeah, since she was resurrected. And that is going to be really interesting going into, you know, like you just fucking go
0: back to like, oh, you're a sophomore in college Mm -hmm. now. Like go back to your normal life as the school tries to sweep this under the rug. (laughs) Right. Yeah.
1: And like, Okay, like, get out, like, yeah, just go to class. You mm-hmm. definitely interrogated and helped kill one of the deans a few weeks ago. That's fine. We're just not going to talk about yeah, that. Yeah, like super hush-hush. And, and then there's, like, things where she's involved herself with, like, Oak and his network now. Like, in this very desperate grabbing at any potential straws that she could for help and for aid. And the fact that it's the bigger organization that was involved in this has still not been caught. And so she's put herself into a lot of different webs, and she handles herself very carelessly. And she's maybe a little bit better about that now that she is, Alt- Ma- like, nope, <laughs> McCall's champion. Um, really, I mess myself up because they're so, like, Mithras, McCall... Like there's another one that's very similar. Yeah. <laughs> like, there's just Maris. I was like, there's two. I have a theme, and I've struck to it too too closely. Um, she is in some ways still a a weapon for McCall. Mm-hmm. but I don't think she knows who she is really outside of that. Yeah. That vengeance, and that's going to be a really interesting thing to then be put into like a fucking ball with the high society, you know, people of Trodane. For her ex's engagement, yeah, it's just it's gonna be a fucking mess, and I'm so excited for it. <laughs> yeah, but you know, yeah, in a way of like she's inherited that rage. Yeah, from Lissette, like that was ironically Lissette gifted that to her <laughs> when she resurrected her.
0: Yeah, and it's uh for me in that world, I think like I I love that gray area. I love understanding a villain's motivations knowing that could have very well been you should should you have Mm -hmm. been like put in similar similar shoes right um and in a way like you know other people might view you uh as a villain later on um as like that's that's life baby like you can't please everybody and sometimes you are the villain in other people's stories and other and you're the hero in your own and it's really a matter of perspective and
1: yeah, it's that thing of like history is written by the victors, exactly.
0: And so kind of I thing. like to play a lot in that, and like a lot of the other villains that I've got cooking um, fall in that similar vein, right? They're they're placed in a variety of different lifestyles and social classes, et cetera. They have different motivations, um, and but like you know, I never want in my specific worlds to have elements like race or uh, their gender or gender expression, um, you know, beef or, 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 sexuality, what have you, all of those things that none of that is necessary for me, um, no. to, to find like you know define them in that way and i also like don't like you know i deal with enough sexism in my real fucking real life i'm not we ain't gonna do that shit unless it's really just a like like some fucking low life dude in a back alley that i just want y'all to like punch clean through the fucking mouth and have a little power trip Mm -hmm. or, or whatever but it's gonna be very clear of like i don't know this dude said something and you're free to just fucking wallop him if you want to. Um right,
1: like you can kill that man. It's fine. Yeah, this is um, this is therapy. Th- there's some things like <laughs> literally this is, this is your venting session. Just enjoy your rage room in this alley. Yeah. But like there's some things like the um we've talked about like Dragon Age TTRPG where it's like, well, if you play um an elf in that like Hella you're get elf all the racism. Right, because there is canonically rate like racism against elves. And so I think things like that are kind of an exception to the rule. But in rule, like in games that I'm homebrewing or that I'm running or making up that don't have a very set world and structure, like something like Dragon Age would, I also don't don't pick up, you know, the things of the any of the isms. I think it's a bit lazy, yeah, writing. And it's not necessary like uh there's a a bit that i like a lot in the beginning of like the vampire the masquerade book and it's probably to some extent in all the white wolf books but it just talks about how like this is a very dark game and you know to make sure that you make that clear to everyone before they they embark on this and like it's not a story of heroes it's a story of monsters of varying degrees with various various motivations and they like life is horrific enough and we don't need to bring the everyday horrors of life into this Mm -hmm. necessarily. And so that's not what, that's not what we do. And it's like, there are certain things where it's like, I know, I know each of you, obviously you're three of you are my best friends. Like we've had conversations and I know the lines between like, Ways to make things impactful, but then all... But not make them triggering. Yeah. Um. And so think of, like, we in that OSRP thing. I think I had, um, like, when Riley had Revna, you know, chained up in that cellar, Um. she had, like, iron shackles and an iron collar yeah. on. And I did that because I thought it was important to show the power dynamic that Riley th- saw existing. And also the fact that, like, we had already determined that she had kind of been paraded around, mm-hmm. even as, like, an, an oddity around the colony, even before she was embraced. So, it would be a thing of, like, her being treated like an animal. Yeah. But it's not something where we're going to, like, have a slave auction, right? No. Like, that's not <laughs> we're, something we're right not going to do. You know. <laughs> we're not going to do that. Um. We're not going to have, like human trafficking like even with and this is a thing where it's like you know where does all where do all these kindred get get mortals to to drink from um yeah and there's a lot of weird things around consent there but that's not something i really feel the need to have yeah in the game of it's like i can there are plenty of atrocities <laughs> i can commit that aren't that and that can still be equally impactful.
0: Yeah, I think the power of like leaving certain things unsaid, letting you letting your imagination wander and and wander and wonder about what that means, how that happens, or whatever, can equally be as impactful. Like I think a lot, like for example, you know, in a lot of horror. I find the horror movies that are the most terrifying are the ones where I don't ever see the thing that is yeah like coming after them cuz then your imagination goes fucking bonkers wild mm-hmm. uh, and like you know you don't necessarily need to paint those pictures to to make somebody a horrific person um you can see the aftermath of their horrific actions and things like that and the the effects of of what they're their you know rule or action or or whatever they're doing has Have on the people like, around right. them yeah. yeah to understand the severity of of that villain and yeah. their level of power and their level of influence etc
1: and if it is something where it's like you you do feel like or if canonically someone has done something like something that is quite atrocious you can like you said approach that from the perspective of like someone who's escaped or, like, someone who's helping take them down or something. Like, you can do something to try to, like, give some agency back. Mm. Like, I, and the same reason that um, I'm not gonna, like, have monologues around certain things with, like, mental health or severe depression. I'm also not gonna monologue, you know, really graphic, certain really types of violence. Yeah. Very graphically. Like, gore, fine um certain things fine but like and that's all that's all in our consent and we we definitely went through that and there are probably things that i'll i'll check in again as we continue with the vampire campaign mm-hmm. but certain shit like we're just not yeah like i'm not comfortable dictating it and painting that word picture no. <laughs> and i don't want to make anyone sit through it either
0: no but you can 100 like dig into Dig into that character. Dig into their their motivations dictate. And, like, there's so much room to play there. There's so many, so much horrific, dramatizing shit you can pull off uh, that, yeah, if you're having to rely on, like, those elements, like you said before, it's a, it's a little bit lazy. I ain't going to lie. Because um, there's there's so much yeah. more to use and it makes them so much more impactful. That way, once your your players realize, like, what's driving this person. Certainly, there's people that are just, like, you know, evil for evil's sake. And that's also kind of horrific to be like, oh, there's no way to talk this person down from fucking crazy. Um, yeah. That's also, like, plenty, plenty of shit you can play around with there. Um, sure. I think what I'm-
1: but even that is less interesting to me. Yeah, it's like if someone gets to the point where they're evil for evil's sake and they're just a megalomaniac like I I want to see that descent. Mm-hmm. I want to kind of follow see them go down that path. Yeah, toward just completely off the deep end. I don't want it to start.
0: Yeah. Well. Probably the be- the best way for that would be like to start with, you know, some character that's like in the background, or like a beloved side side friend and PC, whatever, and then they just slowly start falling into that, and having someone that like was once really, really like beloved by the players, having mm-hmm. fallen into that, and knowing that there's no redemption there for them. There's no way to get that person back uh, after after they they've become irredeemable. Uh, by their actions and have to be taken care of accordingly.
1: Well, it's like, that's potentially what was going to happen with Nerys at the very end of the Ravenloft campaign, because effectively like Strahd, she was a reborn, but like Strahd had reset. Apparently it's like killed and resurrected her. And so like traditionally we use the full traditional reborn lore there. So when they're killed and resurrected, they lose all of their memories. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's basically like whenever Nerys got, you know, she'd been Strahd's creature for Four or five hundred years, but whenever she got to where she was making too many connections, or she was starting to figure things out, or getting too suspicious, Straw would just kill her and reset to reset her memory and bring her back, and to keep her a plant toy, Mm -hmm. basically. So there was a very high chance that that would either happen again at some point in the campaign, and then she has no idea who the party is, or you know, it was gonna be that would, it would push a fight with Strahd because he's trying to do that and then the party catches it or something yeah. where she very likely could have been could have been turned against the party pretty pretty easily. Mm-hmm. And that was really interesting for me to have on the table. I was like, yeah, she she could there was also a path for redemption, but there was the grimdark path as well. And I liked I liked having both.
0: Yeah. And being able to like see how it would have organically like developed on its own.
1: Yeah, and I think like when I approach writing villains whether it's for a novel or for campaigns or anything like I almost will similar to, like how you see like actors who play villains like they have to find their that character's POV, like point of view or their reasons for why they do what they do or things that justify them and I really try to sit with that and be like okay Why put myself in that character's shoes? Why are they making the choices they're making? And justify it to an extent for myself from that character's point of view. Yeah. So when I'm writing things that they're doing, I'm not cringing away. Because I'm like, yeah, this is objectively fucked. But for that character, it feels correct. Mm -hmm. And it feels like the only path forward. Yeah. Um, Which is can get quite dark. And there's a good bit of self-care I think you have to do for yourself when you're writing uh writing villains and writing very dark stories of like because it can take you into a really dark headspace Mm. um like there was the uh oh gosh what is manacled? the um it's a i'm outing myself (laughs) as draco hermione um fan fiction connoisseur but that's okay mm-hmm. uh and like have you have you read Manical? i
0: don't think so but do send me the link afterwards on the recording.
1: i will say like it is one of those ones where 100 check the trigger warnings check the trigger warnings check the trigger warnings um the like author wrote it and you know it's it's fan fiction, whatever it's fan fiction that is so long that I did count it on my goodreads when I wrote that. I found it, and I'm like, I will get credit for this <laughs> because it has been so emotionally draining. <laughs> i I'm no, I will get my adult accelerated reading points for this. <laughs> but like there's a lot of essay themes and mm. dubious consent, non-consent and things like that. Like it's a very. Dark story and points in like there's graphic twists because the thing is like it's uh the war ended where like Voldemort won mm. right and so it's the that takeover and that's the premise for a lot of them and they're varying level there's fanfictions on on varying levels of of grim dark with with that premise but manicold is one where like it stuck with me of the the descriptions of the violence and the war and the injuries and like it was incredibly graphic but it also made it very powerful yeah but it also like going i almost lost my train i thought of why i brought that up but that is something where like yeah you kind of have to do some self-care and like i remember reading works people had asked the author but like oh would you write it from like draco's point of view and she's like no it would be way too fucking sad and i can't put myself in that headspace oh, no. to do it because the world is so fucking dark yeah. and like so irrevocably fucked up that she's like i it was i was in a bad headspace writing it when i wrote it the first time to just how dark it got in spot in spots and yeah i think like that was a really for me as a writer, reading that was like an eye-opening thing where I was like, oh, that is something that I, I, at that point, did not think about mm-hmm. a lot. But as like a girly that loves some morally gray to just morally black, <laughs> um, very dark-coated villains. Um, Fanta black villains. It, it's a, a Fanta, Fanta black villains, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's also now a t-shirt. <laughs> but um, that that's definitely something to think about too. I think from the perspective as a DM and then also for your players of obviously a lot of this gets discussed in the session zeros and the consent checklists and stuff, but like, what are you comfortable describing? So like, even after that last Strixhaven session, you messaged all of us as kind of doing a check-in after that, but you messaged me privately first and you were like you know like are you okay like was it too graphic whatever and i i was like no i love that shit like i'm an, i'm getting into the world of like loving horror and it was everything i wanted it to be and more and i did not feel like it was too much um but I know that was hard for you in the moment because like it was stressful, and I was crying, yeah. and like it there was a lot, and that's hard because like we're fr- you don't want to make your friends no, I'm cry, a I'm a certified yeah, to.
0: I'm a certified people pleaser mom friend. Do you know how fucking hard it is yeah. to sit at that table, play a villain, and make your friends purposely like. Uncomfortable or scared or sad, and you're like, my brain is telling me I'm doing bad things, but I know this is what we're here for.
1: <laughs> and so, like, that's an that is another element of it that I I didn't really think about until we started talking about it. Yeah,
0: it, but, like it was difficult to like be in the moment and like like knowing I'm describing things and seeing discomfort and not reel back from it and have mm-hmm. to like go more because yep. um, like that was very counterintuitive for like my natural instincts um as yeah. a, as a human. <laughs> so um yeah,
1: as a decent as a decent
0: <laughs> person. Um
1: if it wasn't that would be a little confusing. Yeah. I feel like.
0: Yeah. Um you know it, it's it's something. Um I wanted to I wanted to take the little Draco um the Draco plug to talk about um our new uh, not necessarily villains in the sense of like BBGs, but we are entering an arc of Strixhaven where we are dealing with um, a very powerful family that is very Malfoy coded, Lannister coded. Absolutely. Um, so they're 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 very antagonistic, um, even within their own family dynamics, and that's something I've like. That's another like you know how to make compelling villains think of like ulterior things that would motivate them or why they're they're bad and I've loved diving into that like family toxicity what uh manifests in your children when exposed to it when like toxic family dynamics are happening when hardcore generational trauma generational trauma not that i would know anything about that from experience not
1: the yeah Um, crazy
0: whatsoever i did not channel anything in there at all anyway (laughs) no my family's great i love them um every every family's got their issues our families
1: aren't yeah psychopaths psychopaths psychopaths. not to that degree Everybody's family's crazy. Everybody's but, like, family's
0: crazy. Not, not but, but I'm fortunate. I'm very fortunate with the family that I do have. But, you know, we've got our flaws and it's it's had its effects. Same here. Um, but I definitely like, it's one of those things I'm like, okay, I've taken this like small element of my life and I've cranked it up to 90. Um, yeah.
1: <laughs> like, I've broken the dial. I turned it so yeah, hard.
0: Like, <laughs> turn that, break it. It's fine. Um, but, yeah, That's I've fun. really loved diving into, like... Each member of that family's motivations and like how they mm-hmm. they grew up and what effects did that have on them and how is that affecting their children and how are those children now affecting y'all because um, you know you have a, a relationship with one of like Callista's brothers or had one um, yes and you know
1: her Callista's third oldest brother yeah. Narian yeah. Who, is a t- who has a twin is... Um, Thina. Is Anya's ex. Yeah. Yeah, which Thina's. We've not met Thina. We're going to meet Thina very We're gonna soon. We're going to meet Thina very it's soon. Gonna it's going to be a time. Because um, I'm pretty sure Anya and her brother will have slept together by that point. So that's going to be great. <laughs> who
0: knows? Um, Let the dice decide. Everybody. Um, but yeah, so... It's been really, really fun digging into that. And it's also, I think it's also fun whenever you're playing with those kind of, like, low-key villains in the sense of, like, they're not necessarily, like, capital B, capital B, capital E, capital G level shit. Um, But they're meant to be, like, you know, light antagonists in the story.
1: Like Lucius, like, um, Callista's like, second oldest brother. Mm -hmm. Who is, like, objectively crazy, but he's not, like... He's also very self-absorbed and doing his own thing, and he's like a seeker.
0: Yeah, so he'll he'll, he'll li- leave and let live as long as you don't get in his way, kind of thing. He's not gonna so go seeking it out, but if you do happen to cross paths with him, uh, in the wrong way, uh, it's gonna be rough for you, my guy Jack, our other character has it coming for them, and I'm so excited about that. Jack really
1: does. I'm also very excited for that and nervous. <laughs> um, we're going to have to all just stay in public for very different reasons, but yeah, we're all going to have to stay in public.
0: Yeah, but it's been, it's been really good to, like, I think even before we started the session, I was, like, re-watching Game of Thrones with my mom, and, like, when anytime we had <laughs> the Lannisters on screen, my mind was just fucking going and i was like oh these are who these fuckers are um and i and i love taking those like elements of toxicity but again also like before we started we started we're about to start this arc i had another check-in with y'all because i was like hey you know this family is capital t toxic and we're about to be in very close proximity with them for long-ish periods of time maybe
1: we're, we're going into the Lion's Day. We
0: are going we into the Lion's more. Day and...
1: Continue the... Uh, yeah, continue. The Lannister yeah. metaphor. Yeah,
0: and so I was... I wanted to make sure to check in with y'all because I was like, you know, we we've, we've all got family trauma, and I wanted sure. to make sure that, like, we understood where we were okay where we weren't okay. Obviously I've checked with the player um, whose arc is about to be because I'm like, she's going to get the brunt of most of it um, and making sure that she's comfortable with how, how far we might take it. And and yeah. all of that stuff, but that's like again something that you know she wrote this character, and she gave it to me, and I'm like, yeah, you know the the this is the playground and the themes that you wanted to kind of work in, so I'm gonna try to try yes. to deliver Absolutely. so that it's satisfying in the end. Whenever y'all come out the yeah, other side, we
1: were all like, break it, it's fine, like <laughs> yeah, <you> know, <laughs> Or like we know we know what we asked for. I mean, I know for me, like there, because there's been moments, yeah, where it, and it's so good to. Actually genuinely feel uncomfortable in this one it's because you should right when these like you're role-playing or watching people role-play out these very toxic family dynamics like that shouldn't feel comfortable yeah um but like you and bex do it so well they're like i always sit at the table i'm like god damn like our mama's fucking crazy <laughs> like jesus like i knew you were crazy but christ that like that we're out here like that um but then like going into this, which I'm very excited for on I mean, to just be a fucking agent of chaos with her emotionally detached self of just be like, like I'm here for a good time, not a long time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she's just emotionally dead inside. Yeah, she's so, she's really
0: about to be on that like that that find yourself journey because you're like, okay, I've completed my basically the only thing that was keeping me going. Um yeah. what now?
1: With. And we're going to go to my parents' funeral where Close's mom will be there. And then we're going to go to the island that their family owns for a whole weekend of ball festivities for my ex to get engaged. <laughs> <laughs> and like, we're on weird terms, Anya and Marianne are on like th- it, better than they were, I guess. But like, I attribute that, contribute that a very messy. to the dice.
0: Because that boy was Truly. supposed to be an insufferable fuck boy. And he just keeps rolling horns is. on his goddamn. He is to like everyone else at that school.
1: But, <laughs> but on you. Yeah.
0: That. He's just yeah. he's just a simp. A
1: simp. <laughs> There's a picture of Narian in the dictionary next to the the term simp. Um, and I love that. And I'm also excited to see that kind of duality of Narian's character because He's going to be so disgruntled about the whole situation and that he's supposed to be, like, getting engaged to someone that he doesn't even fucking know or want to be engaged to, and, like, we're going to try to pull out some, like, 11th hour, get him out of it thing, but if, like, regardless, he's going to be, like, pissed, and I'm jokingly being like, oh, how drunk is Mary going to be this whole like ball, and you're like, Yes. And I'm like, well, that's going to be great. I'm just going to have to fucking patch that up. Yeah. Because the Bloodstone siblings, which is the family name, like, can't act like they like each other in public because that's not how that family goes.
0: Oh, well, they do act like they like each other in public. That's public. That's maintaining well, but a public it, image. It's,
1: it's frosty. Like, it's frosty. They don't, it's not like they like each other. Like, oh man, your brother drank too much and is like, has fallen over on the floor. Like, you don't go and fucking.
0: Oh, no, like, assistant. if they see one of them fucking up, they're like, I'm gonna let your ass drown.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, so even if, like, Callisto would maybe like to intervene, she can't without, like, setting off warning bells of, like, why are y'all acting like you like friendly. love and care for each other yeah. <laughs> in this household? Um,
0: yeah, the, so the yeah, only point, just, really, where they drag each other out of situations like that is, like, if they know they're gonna, it's gonna mean... Hey, I'm fucking up, or they're fucking up, and it's gonna get them in trouble with mom and dad. That's your that's your grave. You dug it. If it's a public yeah. image on the bloodstones type of fuck up, then they then do swoop problem. in because that gains them favor with yeah. mom and dad.
1: For sure, yeah. If like if they can't get something out of intervening, then they're not gonna do. Yeah, it, it is a selfishly motivated help. Up. Yeah. But it does make sense in that, like, environment with which they've grown up. So it is going to be really interesting to see that public dynamic where, like, we're in public. Nerian is not supposed to be simping for on loudly. Um, <laughs>
0: loudly.
1: <laughs> but then also, because truly is, you've rolled more ones for him and 20s for valentine like you ever have in your fucking career truly that's how that truly. works truly and i roll i roll ones with valentine and really good with narian so like it's it all it all balances yeah. out but um like seeing him be cruel and angry and like that fuck boy Version of himself that he is to everyone else, and then having to deal with Anya also being there is going to be so good. Yeah,
0: it'll it'll be very interesting. But yeah, it's been it's been an interesting playground to be in uh, as far as constructing those those people as like antagonistic villains, and then knowing like this the the Narian I think is the first Bloodstone y'all really have like uh, started to uncover the stuff behind yeah. him, right? And his motivations and why he is yeah. the way he is and why he acts the way he is. And it's tied back into, you know, the Bloodstones overall family culture, um, which you have an insight in through him and Callista. But then all the siblings have their own reasons for being the way that they are. They have their own, they sure. took their own lessons out of the, the rearing they had. Um, the parents as well. Which uh, I'll be excited to see how much yeah. I'll figure out at the ball or not.
1: Um, I'm really excited to see how, because like Arwen, Callista's mother, and Aaron's mother was friends with Anya's parents yeah. and Ambrose and Rosenthal, and like they were all in a party together when they were younger. And so she's gonna rock, like, Arwen's gonna show up at this funeral. And that's going to be a really, I think, thankfully for Anya, that will help her, like, Arwen not just be, like, a stone-cold bitch to Anya when she's at the fucking ball. Because I think if not for that, then Anya would be like, why the, like, Arwen would have been like, why the fuck, close to why the fuck did you bring this person here? But because it's now, brought, like, dredged up all of Arwen's trauma and memories and all of that with, um... Anya's parents, Bryony and Baron, like, I think that will soften her a little bit toward Anya, where, like, Anya can hopefully fly under the radar (laughs) a little bit, (laughs) because she'll be distracted with her own emotional damage. But, yeah, that's going to be interesting to kind of see how she reacts in that, and, like, how she reacts toward Anya, and and all of, I think that's going to be a different side. Of of Arwen, and then also Raina's gonna be there, so that'll be interesting because oh, Raina's not in Raina. their house and fucking left a little a little post-it note on their bed friend
0: XOXO <laughs> uh, <laughs> like XO rip- Gossip Girl. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, Raina, Raina is my my baby, my beast. That's the epitome of the like. Hey, this could be a really powerful hero on your side, or she could be the end of all things and yeah i like i remember bex
1: asking like what because like i'm super privy to the entirety of reyna's camp yeah. because i was i, I was
0: there when, the, when you were Calis there when the texts were like, written entirely yeah you were um, there when she was level one <laughs>
1: truly yeah so like there there was a funny moment where bex was like oh like if like anya like it or not Anya, if but calissa's parents like fought fought Raina, like." who would win and both you and i immediately were like reyna yeah like without a fucking doubt like like reyna is like level 30 or higher like reyna she's on
0: some some maxed out cr bullshit man
1: yeah reyna and oak have ascended to a higher plane they are doing they're on a whole they're on on a whole
0: different game my guy
1: yeah uh which is why like yeah they can't they will never be in a fight because like it's no. They snap their fingers and disintegrate people. Like yeah. that's not we can't be happy.
0: <laughs> no, you you no. They they will send you back in a box. In a fucking envelope. In a, like you need a box. You were just dust by the end. Uh yeah, no. Uh Re- Reina for sure is a is a work of love over years. Um, but truly. Uh she uh I definitely put in that that full, I mean, she she is, you know, unabashedly my shameless self-insert. And mm-hmm. uh I definitely put that like all the good and the bad traits of myself in her cranked yeah. to max. So she's got yeah. she she do be that that like, you know, uh burn the world, salt the earth type love or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um and then she's she's got she's got maxed out ego she's got all this charisma and all like but also she's got she's got hella demons playing that bitch um for sure and like i i love her so much but yeah she
1: yeah the duality of reyna is really really great and i love that anya's just collecting scary dogs (laughs) it's like everyone's afraid of reyna and then anya's like damn, well, Auntie, I didn't know you had a shadow form. And it's just too chill about it. Yeah,
0: it's super chill. And i like, are you?
1: <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's fine.
0: Yeah. it's, a, it's
1: She's a, not going to eat me. Yeah.
0: I, I still love that scene forever of, like, the parent-teacher yeah. conference. And yes. that moment where it clicked for Anya why Reyna's considered scary and would technically yeah. classify as a villain. And definitely does classify as, like, a bad person to the city security. Totally. <laughs> totally. and yeah. and most of the mortal coil to be honest um and so
1: did oak like sitting there in his fucking yeah velvet suit or whatever he <laughs> yeah was
0: wearing. these these are just two extremely power like like this woman and her mafia eldritch mafia boss husband
1: truly um truly you know yeah. just walked
0: up in here honestly
1: yeah that's Oak. oak is uh, an eldritch mafia don yeah that's that's the vibe. That's the best description um, I
0: can give you. And then and then Reyna is literally just the embodiment of night in the Fey Court. Like, you, yeah, you do not get that. The, wi- the witch in
1: the woods they walked right from the void. Like, <laughs> it's, yeah, it's not chill at all, even remotely. But it's like they're they're very fun characters because like if, I I don't think anyone has. A middling reaction to them like it's either it's love or it's fear or it's anger or it's something like they're polarizing yeah and that's really cool and i think that is a mark of a good well-developed character and also like well-developed villain because the people if they have people that support them they just support them for a reason and if you know the people who hate them should hate them for good reasons yeah and there are good reasons for both with with Rinna and Oak. I think even, like, Anya's parents, like, I know Anya's dad was doing some fuck shit and, like, making weapons of war. Yeah. It's just, so, like, there are plenty of circumstances, and, like, Anya's dad worked with Oak, and where they were probably not good, they were not good people. Like, is Anya aware of that? No. But, like, yeah, there's probably people that would look at what happened to Bryony and Baron and say they got what they deserved. Yeah, probably. Now, if they said that in front of Anya would only kill them, yes. <laughs> but again, that's the thing of, like, at what point is she, you know, I mean, worse or the same as the monster that made her? There there are people
0: like out there that me. did give them what they deserved in in their mind.
1: Yeah. Which I'm excited to have that interaction. Because that's going to be... I feel like Anya will make some progress, and then we'll get to that point, and then she will regress like a <laughs> <laughs> She's like, those years of therapy, throw them out the window. Yeah,
0: never known her. Never known that healed Those bitch. journaling
1: props? Fuck that. Fuck
0: that. Burn them.
1: <laughs> fuck a healed bitch.
0: <laughs> uh, about to be toxic up in this. Um truly <laughs> but i think we are we are coming to the end of things um so over i think overall in summary um you know definitely get creative with your villains uh you don't need to rely on crutches i don't think there is so many yeah. more depths to the the human experience that you can really dive into that will help you find unique motivations for those villains make them compelling make them make them interesting make them someone that you might almost side with and have have your players contend with that at the table and be like damn i like i i understand their motivations and like even to a point unknowingly have them ally with them um, or be like me and just start playing monster. in the gray area of like, what if I made like the loved ones of other players the villains and everybody else's story? Um, and we'll we'll see what happens in that in in that in that journey. Make your monsters relatable; it's more fun. Make your monsters relatable. <laughs> um, but thank you so much for joining us for this episode, and we will see you next time. Bye. Table Talk is a podcast brought to you by Mythos Media Productions, bringing you a new episode every Wednesday, wherever you get your podcast. Find us on Instagram and TikTok at TabletalkRPG, or check us out at our website, mythosmediaproductions.godaddiesites.com. All business inquiries can reach out to us via email at info at mythosmediaproductions.com.